Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're blessed by this podcast, please subscribe. Once you do, you'll be able to stay up to date with all our latest messages. In this week's message by Tom Hughes, we look at the recent happenings in the Middle East through the lens of Bible prophecy and continue our study of the book of Daniel. What does the Bible have to say about what is happening now? Let's find out. So we're going to look at a prophecy update from Daniel chapter 7. We've been in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, last time we met, we've been going through the book of Daniel. There are events that are taking place today, which I'm going to get into in just a minute, um, to help us understand things. But Daniel helps us understand things too. So in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel had a dream. And it was similar to Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but Daniel's dream, he didn't see a big statue of himself. What Daniel saw in his dream, he saw different animals. And if you remember, the dream in the opening verses of Daniel chapter 7, with the different animals, he had an animal that represented the Babylonian kingdom, an animal that represented the Medo-Persian empire, uh, also the Greek empire, and then the Roman empire. Remember that? The vicious Roman empire was the part of his dream with the, the teeth and the iron and all of that. Okay, so Daniel had that dream, and he's wondering what in the world is going on. For us, when we look at Daniel's dream of Daniel chapter 7, that was past. However, where we left off, Daniel's portion of the dream goes into the ten horns, which we know from the Bible is speaking of ten kingdoms that are coming, ten kings, and the kingdom of the Antichrist. So although we've already looked at the past tonight, we're going to start looking at the future from Daniel, the, from the remaining part of his dream. And as we look at the future, you and I need to pay attention. Because there is a lot that is going on right now that the Bible has quite a bit to talk about. So as we, uh, if you've been here for very long or you've been studying Bible prophecy very long, you know that there's a war that's coming, the Ezekiel 38-39 war. It's when Russia and Iran attack Israel from the north. Um, and uh, the United States is not involved in that war. Saudi Arabia is not involved in that war. But they come down on Israel like a flood. However, when you get to Ezekiel chapter 39, you find out that God decimates the Russian army, this invading army that would include modern-day Iran, also Turkey. On this map up here, they're coming from Sudan in the Ezekiel 38 and so forth, Right? So as we look at events that are taking place right now, I've got this question that has come to me. Is this Ezekiel 38 war the next thing that is going to happen? Seeing how things have escalated over the last few days, did you notice that? Between the United States and Iran. Now understand this, Iran, Russia, and China are all working together, along with Hezbollah and Hamas, all against Israel, but also against the United States. Um, but there's a lot of different dogs that are in this current fight, and this is escalating big time. Uh, this is uh, from Drudge Report. Top Iran commander killed, strike on Baghdad airport, Tehran vows crushing revenge, sleeper cells in the United States. Another article, Rage Builds, this is today. Iran eyes 35 targets. Trump has 52 targets. Rockets launched at U.S. troops. This is today, all right? This is also on Drudge today. I put this up here because it has so much in it instead of going to all these different articles. Here it says, uh, Iran launches cyber attack on U.S. government website. We are always ready, 
A red flag raised at mosque warning of severe battle to come. Will punish Americans wherever they are. Threatens to attack the White House. Offers $80 million for Trump's head. Condemns as terrorist in suit. Uh, Soleimani body taken on unprecedented public mornings tour. Death to America. General steps out of shadow. Fear hits Tehran over what might come next. Britain must be ready for looming war. Royal Navy deployed. Could America restart draft? Protests across the nation. Trump ordered the strike and came down to dinner cool and collected. Uh, New York Times. Doubts are going on at the Pentagon. So this is what's going on right now. Is World War III coming? Then we have this. Soleimani, this is from the Jerusalem Post, was a monster, wanted atomic cloud over Tel Aviv, uh, says the German newspaper. This also, Times of Israel. Iran threatens Tel Aviv. U.S. bases in Middle East after killing of Soleimani. Uh, There's an article from now the end begins. Death to America. Tens of thousands of Muslims jam the streets in Baghdad as Iran vows revenge for the killing of top general Qasem Soleimani. Britain sends two warships and mobilizes SAS troops to Persian Gulf as UK prepares for revenge from Iran in Middle East after rocket attack today. So you look at this and you go, man, this is escalating. But what's going to happen next? Um, I do know this, it will not be the Ezekiel 38 war that's going to be the next thing that's going to happen. The great big war. That is a massive war that takes place that the Bible tells us is coming at a time when the Jews are back in the land of Israel, uh, a time when they're gathered on the mountains of Israel and the attack comes. Ezekiel 38 war is not the next thing that is going to happen, but this is escalating. And it's interesting to watch what's going to happen. Or watch how this unfolds. Um, what you don't hear from the Western media reports is that people in Iran are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They recognize, uh, more than any other place in the entire world right now, they are turning to the Lord. Because they realize they are lied to by the regime that is at hand. And uh, so we're watching this and seeing this happen but you and I are not hearing that. You turn on the news in America, and you would think that Soleimani, this radical Islamic crazy general who was evil, uh, a monster, he was uh, responsible for killing all kinds of people, wanting to bring death to America and death to Israel. You turn on certain news sources, and you would think that Soleimani was, was like Mother Teresa. And you, and you hear these things, you go, know, this is just insane. But I look at all of these events that are taking place and we need to make sense of them. But I also praise God that so many people are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ over in that part of the world. In Isaiah chapter 19, the Bible tells us that in the last days, the people of Egypt are going to come to faith in the Lord. Did you know that? Because, Isaiah chapter 19 says, because of their oppressors, because of the terrorists and the evil regimes and the things that are happening to them, they are going to turn to the Lord. And you look at what's happening over in the Mideast, you do not hear that on American news, on Western news. But that is the reality of it. People in Jordan, people in Egypt, people in Saudi Arabia, people in Iran are coming to faith in the Lord. People in Syria are coming to faith in the Lord. While in America, it is bashing all things righteous. 
It is turning against the Lord and suddenly claiming that somebody like Solomon uh, was a good man. And you look at this and you go, this is just nuts. So what is going on? I believe it's quite possible that the next war could be the uh, war of the next battle, I should say, because it's only going to last for a night. The battle of, uh, for uh, Damascus, where Damascus is destroyed in one night. Now, before we go to the Damascus part, I want to show you this. Uh, Bill Salas, who has spoken here several times before, had a book out several years ago called Psalm 83. And in Psalm 83, he outlines uh, people groups that surround the nation of Israel that are definitely not part of the greater Ezekiel 38 war. And he says that he believes this war, this battle of uh, the Psalm 83 battle is going to take place. And in the Psalm 83 battle, Israel is going to expand their borders. Uh, right now, uh, Israel's borders are very, very tiny. I, I wish I had my pointer, but I don't. Um, Israel is just that, that, you know what it is, right? Does it show it to you? You guys see it. It's that little tiny, the, the part that's up in grayish brown. Who had that? Thank you. Can I borrow that? All right, this is for anybody else. So this is Israel. That's it, right? Okay, on this map, see it there? On that map, see it there? Got everybody covered. All right, this part that's outlined in red Though, that's the territory. Uh, I don't need it anymore. You want me to keep it? Okay. <laughs> Merry Christmas to me. <laughs> so the borders, the borders uh, um, uh, that God gave Israel are in the red. So Bill Salus makes the case of Psalm 83. Israel is going to expand their borders in the Psalm 83 battle as they attack these people that are coming against them. Uh, Hamas, Hezbollah, and so forth. You look at that and you go, well, it, it, it's quite possible. I have some friends that absolutely disagree with that, and I have other friends that totally agree with that and see that possibly being the next thing that happens. I find this interesting, that right now Netanyahu has uh, already told Trump, hey, we're about ready to expand some more of our borders anyways, with or without war. And so you look at this and you go, what in the world is going on? Will that be it? I don't know about Psalm 83. Uh, maybe Bill's right, maybe he's not, but I do know this. Isaiah chapter 17 tells us this. Listen to these words. The burden against Damascus. This is the Lord speaking. The burden against Damascus, this has not happened yet. Damascus is the capital of Syria. Damascus is a hotbed of terrorism. Iran has its, its troops in there. Um, it's well known that you have this, it's like, a, it's like this breeding ground, kind of like the Petri dish was in your biology class for all this bacteria and stuff that would grow. Remember that, your biology class? Uh, that's what Damascus is like for terrorism, right? This is what God says. And Damascus, by the way, is the oldest known inhabited city in the world. Inhabited. The burden against Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city. It will be a ruinous heap. Uh, it almost looks like a ruinous heap right now if you look at it. It's been hit by, from battle after battle after battle, but it still exists. And you still have this petri dish of terrorists there. The cities of error are, for, are forsaken. They will be for flocks which lie down and no one will make them afraid. The fortress also will cease from Ephraim, the king from Damascus, and the remnant of Syria. They will be as the glory of the children of Israel, says the Lord of hosts. Again, uh, behold, Damascus will cease from be, being a city. It will be a ruinous heap, right? First couple of verses of Isaiah 17. You drop down to the end of chapter 17. It's continuing with the Damascus battle. 
Woe to the multitude of many people who make a noise like the roar of the seas and to the rushing of nations that make a rushing of like the rushing of mighty waters. The nations will rush like the rushing of many waters, but God will rebuke them and they will flee far away and be chased like the chaff of the mountains uh, before the wind, like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. Then behold, at evening or at eventide trouble, and before the morning Damascus is no more. This is the portion of those who plunder us and the lot of those who rob us. God simply says in this, I'll make it a simple interpretation, that there's a time coming, still in the future, where Damascus is going to be destroyed in one night. Completely a ruinous heap. The description is like what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It's just going to be completely destroyed. Is that what is going to happen? Um, I've often thought that it's going to be the Israeli Defense Force, Israeli Air Force, that's going to destroy Damascus in one night. Um, it could be that the United States is involved with that. Here's what does happen. When Damascus is destroyed, as you read all of the context of Isaiah chapter 17, Israel, parts of Israel, especially in the north part of Israel, are absolutely decimated also in that battle. So it's, it's like Damascus gets destroyed, but there's a retaliation that comes against Israel uh, right back. But Damascus destroyed. You, know, you look at this and you go, what in the world is going on? Is that what is going to happen out of this? Isaiah chapter 17? I don't know. But I do know that the Isaiah chapter 17 battle against uh, uh, Damascus and Damascus being destroyed, I do know that that is coming. I also am a firm believer that the battle of Isaiah chapter 17 and Damascus takes place before the battle of the war of Ezekiel chapter 38 where Iran and Russia and Turkey come against the nation of Israel. So I look at all of this and I think this also. This is something you must understand about Bible prophecy. Israel is the focus. Jerusalem is the bullseye. Um, and throughout the history of the Jews... And throughout the history of the Bible, secular history and biblical history, Iran, a.k.a. Persia, was always friendly with the Jews and with the nation of Israel. However, the Bible is very clear, in the last days, the last of the last days, Iran is going to attack, uh, bring a major war against the nation of Israel. Listen, we're looking at all these things. The, 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 the um, battles are escalating. Israel is on their toes. They're watching every single thing that is taking place. We've, we hear about missiles being uh, launched against Israel. Uh, you have Israel who has, or Iran has their proxy armies that are firing missiles into Israel. You have these different things that are going on. Listen, this is escalating. Will it become uh, the Isaiah chapter 17 battle? I don't know, but I do know that that battle is coming. I also know this. When you go into Daniel chapter 7, and as you start to see things, where we are tonight, Daniel looks into the future. And, and um, what he sees is not a utopian kingdom. He has this dream of the future. What he sees is not a utopian kingdom. What he sees is a kingdom of the Antichrist. Um, with everything that's developing, how the Bible pulls all of this together is really remarkable. You have the different battles I've already talked about that go on. But we also have the globalist movement. 
and then you have the Antichrist that sits at the top, and I know this bothers a lot of Americans, all right? But America, as you know it, will not be the great nation that it currently is. Uh, this, this thing is eventually going to come to an end. I look at this, and this is going to bother a lot of people. Um, but whether you're pro-Trump or uh, against Trump, Russia, I don't believe, is going to attack, do anything against the United States. Uh, I don't even think China will. Um, Ezekiel 38 battle happens when the United States is not involved. The United States, something's going to happen. I hope it's the rapture and we are out of here. But I'll tell you this much. Right now, Israel has a friend they need. That friend is the United States. It's a matter of time. I, don't believe, I believe that the next president, uh, whoever that is, that, that this whole friend of Israel stuff is going away. Um, the reason I believe that is because the, the Bible is clear that in that last of the last days, Israel will have 0.0 friends. They won't have any friends. The entire world will be against Israel. When, when we are done through the next few years, um, Israel's going to be left on their own. Israel's going to be blamed for terrorism. Israel's going to be blamed for all kinds of things that are taking place. However, in that, Israel's also going to turn to the Lord because they realize they have no friend in this world and only the Lord will be able to save them. Hence, in the Ezekiel chapter 38-39 war, it is God who saves Israel in Ezekiel 39, and Israel looks to the Lord. It's also in Zechariah chapter 12 that the Bible tells us when the whole world is against Israel, you get to chapter 12, verse 10, Israel looks up and they recognize the Lord is the one who they pierce, and they worship the Lord God of heaven. So I look at all of this stuff that's developing, something like what's going on today reminds me that, um, that, that look, this is just pointing to Jesus coming. And we need to be ready. And, and by the way, I want to bring up this. On New Year's Eve, I brought up the golden ticket to heaven. Remember, that's not this one. I want to show you this, all right? On the golden ticket to heaven, remember that? It was this crazy guy. He was doing drugs, and he wanted to live in, on another planet with aliens and all that stuff. Claimed he met Jesus in the back alley. Were any of you here and you heard that golden ticket to heaven? He is selling the ticket for 99 bucks, right? Okay, so somebody sent me something. They said, listen, they snoped it, and the whole thing was a hoax. And, and, and what I read wasn't really true, so I'm going to go with that, that it wasn't true, but also that was a false ticket to heaven. Listen, here, listen, people need Jesus. I developed this, or Bill New developed this, and, and I worked on it with him. This is free. This is a Bible tract, and I don't want anybody to be confused. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is absolutely free. In fact, did you know that the numbers here, oh, I have this pointer. The numbers here, they spell out the word heaven. And, and uh, on the back side of this is the gospel, is, it's the uh, sinner's prayer. And if somebody gets it, look, the ticket won't get you into heaven. But asking Christ to forgive you of your sins, the gospel message is absolutely free. If somebody's trying to sell you the gospel, it's a lie. But this is free. And we have the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason I bring this up tonight is this. We live in a world that desperately needs that. They desperately need the truth. This thing is winding down. 
We need Jesus. We need the true gospel. We have the true gospel of his first coming, and we have the true message of his second coming. And I look at these things, folks, and we better be ready. Amen? Amen. So with all of this, when you look at this, and you look, again, you look at Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, and Daniel, where we are right now, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, Daniel's dream launches us into the future, into a time with the kingdom of the, um, the Antichrist. And that's what he's called. Daniel chapter 7 says this, in verses 7 and 8. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. So Daniel saw, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, he saw these different animals. Uh, one animal represented Babylon. One animal represented the Medo-Persian Empire. One animal represented the... Um, uh, Greek Empire, and then the fourth one represented the Roman Empire. For us, that was all past. And he says this, So after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling with the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. What in the world is going on here? This is the kingdom that's coming. It's the kingdom of the Antichrist. Um, so Daniel, in his dream, and this is what he does here. He takes us to the rising of the Antichrist. Note what we have here is this other horn. Another horn, another king. So how many of you are familiar at all with the prophecies of ten horns? So I know, okay, how many of you are, aren't familiar with it? Okay, so I'll give you the details on these horns in just a minute, but the horns represent ten kings that are coming in the kingdom of the Antichrist. So Daniel sees this iron beast, and then he sees ten horns, and then he sees another horn. Another horn is another king, and this other king is the Antichrist. Revelation chapter 17 tells us this. The ten horns which you saw in your dream, uh, um, this is to John, excuse me, but it correlates with the dream of Daniel. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. The beast there is the Antichrist. Uh, these are of one mind, and they will give their power and their authority to the beast. All right, you guys following me so far? If you track with me, if you just keep up with this part, it'll, it'll all make sense, even if you never heard of these ten horn things before. Um, again, just to help you understand, the, the, um, this beast that Daniel sees with the iron teeth, that was the Roman Empire, from 2,000 years ago. The ten horns are this kingdom that is coming, a new world order we often hear it called, or the globalist system. So the ten horns are still future. Does that make sense? Okay, and these ten horns come out of the Roman Empire. Does that make sense? So the Roman Empire's gone, but the ten horns that are coming are out of that Roman Empire, and this beast has these crazy-looking ten horns. Okay. So, A, there's another horn Daniel sees, who is another king. Um, there's a mouth that's speaking pompous words. 
Uh, this king, who is the Antichrist, uh, speaks blasphemies against God. So Daniel tells us, he's another horn, Daniel tells us this other king, this other horn, uh, speaks pompous words. Revelation chapter 13, of the Antichrist, John wrote in Revelation 13, I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having ten horns. So book of Daniel, we have this ten-horned creature. Book of Revelation, we have this ten-horned creature. And on his horns were ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. So the ten crowns, again, imply there are ten kings, listen, still future, that are coming. And they're speaking, this, this beast speaks blasphemous things. This beast, this king, this little horn, as Daniel described him, right? He was given a mouth, Revelation tells us, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. All right, so you're tracking all right so far? Okay, so the Roman Empire, gone for all practical purposes, but this global system, new world order is coming with ten kings that are going to lead it. Out of the ten kings, or ten horns, but they're ten kings, rises this other horn who is the beast, who is the Antichrist, and he is going to speak against God. That's what Daniel tells us. That's also what the book of Revelation tells us. Um, Daniel chapter 11 says, The king, the Antichrist, shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god and shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods or the king of kings or the king of heaven. So the Antichrist has a big mouth and he's arrogant. Okay? Still tracking? Okay. Uh, so I have another horn, who's another king. He, this other king has a mouth speaking pompous words, blasphemies against God. This uh, other horn rises out of the ten kings and he uproots three of them. Okay. Put a little bit more of it together. The Roman Empire, for all practical purposes, ceased to exist about 1,700 years ago. Um, but this tells us this ten-kinged empire is going to rule simultaneously. We know this is future for two major reasons. One of them is Book of Revelation tells us it's future. The other reason is because the Roman Empire has never existed with ten kings ruling it yet. We also know from Daniel chapter 9, not just Daniel chapter 7 and the book of Revelation, but also Daniel chapter 9, that this, the, Rome, the, the kingdom that's coming is going to be a revived Roman Empire. So out of the revived Roman Empire is going to be the ten kingdom, king, uh, ten kingdom world, Antichrist at the top. When the Antichrist comes into power, according to what we just read in Daniel chapter 7, he is going to uproot or remove three of the leaders. I also know this because I've read my Bible. The, this kingdom that's coming, this globalist kingdom that's coming, is going to be totally anti-Semitic. You and I are watching anti-Semitism increase 
tremendously. This is another reason why I said just a few minutes ago that when this whole, the, the, the current presidency administration is gone, this globalist system that is coming is going to be in place in America and it is going to turn against all things Israel and against all things Jewish. Some Jews are waking up to this in America. A lot of Jews in Israel are already waking up to it and have been awake to it. Uh, in fact, that's why they've gone to Israel, because they said, hey, there is a huge problem. And uh, so they recognize it. But um, it's going to increase, and it's not a pleasant thing. But I also firmly believe that one of the reasons why it hasn't increased into the place it's going to be, not just because of the current presidential administration, and I'm not saying the presidential administration does everything perfect, but I am saying they do stand up for Israel and, and, and uh, do some, some things that are desperately needed to be done. Um, but it's the evangelical community that stands for Israel. And it's not all, everybody in the evangelical community. There are a whole lot of people in churches in America, Christian in name, and churches in Europe, that really are involved in replacement theology. That's uh, saying the the Jews don't have any right to the land of Israel. In fact, the Jews don't have any right to God, and, and just on down the list. Um, but it's not supported at all in the Bible. But uh, So you look at all of this that's coming. This kingdom is going to be anti-Semitic. It's going to be anti-God, as we already saw. The Antichrist is going to be speaking against the God of heaven and all things God. It's going to be anti-nationalism. In other words, any country that tries to have a nationalistic uh, they're going to they're going to be who they are. Um, it, it's not going to go well with this globalist system. It is a globalist system that is coming. That's going to have ten kings that are leading it. Uh, I think of the new world order and things that I've been hearing for years, and how the world is going to be broken down into ten different kingdoms. And then there's this. This is the map, and this is ten kingdoms. Did you know that this map of this concept started to be made known back in the 1800s of the world being broken up into 10 kingdoms did you know that back in the 1800s well the bible tells us that there are 10 kings coming now i have some of my prophecy teaching friends that tell me the 10 kingdoms and the 10 horns of daniel chapter 7 and also Revel book of revelation they only come out of the revived roman empire out of europe so you're gonna have 10 kings coming out of there i say not so fast that might be, but I believe this is what it is. In fact, right now, the United States um, is a little bit different. When you look at number one, you have Canada and the United States, number one. You have Mexico and South America as number six. But when you look at how things are broken down now and breaking down now, you have one region, you have Canada, the United States, and Mexico, and one of the only things that Trump and Pelosi ever agreed on was that agreement between Canada, the United States, and Mexico, and that just happened, by the way. You start looking at these things that are developing, the Bible's clear, Revelation chapter 17, the Bible is clear that there's ten horns, a.k.a. ten kings, that give their authority to the beast. He's going to rule, and then again, he's going to uproot three of them, we know that from Daniel. Also, I... I look at the ten kings of Revelation chapter 17, Daniel, the ten horns. Um, to me, it appears that they are king makers. Um, think with me for just a minute. In, uh, when Jesus, shortly after his birth, you have the wise men who came from the east. 
They were known as Magi. Um, the Magi were not kings. The Magi were king makers. The Magi who came from the east recognized Jesus as being the king. They were king makers. They brought him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. King makers. When I look at Revelation chapter 17 and the book of Daniel, and they are the ones who anoint the Antichrist as the king, they're really king makers. I, would, I believe they're likely um, ten elitists who are ruling over these sections who are like puppet masters. And they're recognizing, wait, we need one person at the top who's super charismatic and super powerful. So when I look at the book of Daniel, I see events that are happening today, and I look and go, man, this is absolutely unbelievable as you and I watch what is taking place. Uh, let's move on into Revelation chapter, or excuse me, continue Daniel chapter uh, 7 verse 9. Uh, we're not going to go through this much further, just so you know, because I know hamburgers are waiting for you all. Uh, I watched, Daniel says, again he's got this dream, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated, his garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. Again, the pompous words, the blasphemies against God, which the horn, the Antichrist, the eleventh horn, the little horn, right? So it's the Antichrist. I watch because of this Antichrist, the one who's, who's appointed as king of the world. And the pompous words he's saying. I watched till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and for a time. Uh, so I, I look at these things and I think, listen, some people that go to church do not like Bible prophecy. I get it. It can be frightening and it can seem like doom and gloom if you don't understand it. But if you understand how it connects, you understand what the Bible gives us, whether it be Daniel or Book of Revelation or the words of Jesus from Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke chapter 21, or Paul's writings to the Thessalonians, or, or Peter's writings, or whoever it is, or Isaiah's writings, or Ezekiel's writings. Listen, these prophecies are all over the Bible. And when you look at them and you understand, wait a minute, God just tells us the events. So when we see the events taking place, we'll have the aha moment. Listen, this is bad stuff. War with Iran and the United States, listen, that's bad stuff. But if you study Bible prophecy, you know, aha, this may be pointing to Isaiah chapter 17. I don't know, but I do know Isaiah chapter 17, the battle of Damascus, is going to happen. And I know that is a major warning sign that people need to wake up and they need Jesus. And I know, so it's, if I can look at it from the doom and gloom, but no, 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 I choose to look at it from the perspective of heaven and realize that Jesus is coming. And we have an opportunity to share the gospel. We have an opportunity to care for others. If you have the right mindset of heaven and Jesus coming again, you are blessed with the opportunity to also have great joy. In fact, it was C.S. Lewis who said this. People say, don't look at these things. No, we need to look at these things. 
Because when you rightly understand, they actually encourage you. C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is, since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, that they have become so ineffective in this world. Thrones are established in heaven, in verse 9. Daniel writes, I, I watched until thrones were put in place. Um, just for the record, and I want to get a bunch of people online mad at me, or you guys mad at me, but for the record, all right, King James Bible translates verse 9 as, I beheld till thrones were cast down. The thrones were not cast down. I believe it's a poor translation to understand what it really means. This literally means thrones were established. What is this referring to since it's plural thrones? Most likely the thrones of the 24 elders of Revelation chapter 4. Their thrones were not cast down, but their thrones were established. Revelation chapter 4, around the throne, God's throne, were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. So A, in these verses, thrones are established. B, God the Father is seated on the throne. Look at this in verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. The Ancient of Days, by the way, is God the Father. Some people say, no, the Ancient of Days is, is uh, Jesus Christ. Listen, we're going to get to that in just a couple more minutes. I'm going to show you that uh, the Ancient of Days is God the Father. Also, it's interesting here because it talks about his garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. What is that all about? His hair was like pure wool, it's, 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 a, a, it's white. Does this mean that God is just some old man? Because when you see drawings of God, he often looks exactly like that, doesn't he? That's not what this means. The Bible also talks about God having wings and being protected by his wings. Does that mean that God is a chicken? Does it mean that he's an eagle? No, it doesn't mean any of, any of those things. John Calvin uh, wrote, we ought not to imagine God in his essence to be like any appearance to his own prophet or any other of the holy fathers, in other words, like men, but he put on various appearances, at least written for us, according to man's comprehension, to whom he wished to give some signs of his presence. Um, what you don't want to miss here in this is this. These verses is that his throne is a fiery flame, verse 9. Its wheels are burning with fire. A fiery stream uh, seems to come forth from the throne of God like lava coming down a volcano. What's this referring to? Uh, the fire is the judgment of God. Um, Isaiah chapter 66 says, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword the Lord will judge all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. Also, we note in verse, <coughs> verse 11 of chapter 7 of Daniel that the Antichrist is slain and he's thrown and giving to the burning fire. 
with that, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, tells us of the moment from Daniel, that Daniel chapter 7, verse 11, Revelation chapter 19 tells us the beast was captured and with him the false prophet, and these two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And chapter 20 of Revelation says that fire came down from God out of heaven and the devil was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Wow! And then listen to this. This is the uh-oh part. The judgment also includes books. Listen, in here, God is on the throne. 24 elders are around Him. He's sitting in a courtroom. And now in verse 10, we're told that there are books. So, what are the books? Well, the Bible tells us, Psalm 56, there's a book of tears. Psalm 69, a book of the living. There's also a book of remembrance. There's a book of life. Uh, And here, Daniel appears to give us the understanding that there is a book of, or books of sins. In God's court, God is going to open the books and judge, according to Daniel chapter 7. He is going to read the activity, the blasphemy, the idolatry of nations and of people. Listen, this is frightening. Because I think of this right now in America. Um, this is, uh, I had this in New Year's Eve update. MSNBC mocks those who believe in Noah's Ark implies the Bible is a fairy tale, right? I read part of that article to you the other night. I look at that and I go, I wouldn't want to be sitting or standing before this judgment that is spoken of right here, right? And then you look at this. Elizabeth Warren says she'll wear Planned Parenthood scarf to her inauguration. I would not want to be that woman. Do you understand that? This is what this is talking about. These are frightening things that the world, that's happening. And then we have all of the anti-Semitism. God is clear that that, that he has a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with the Jewish people. There's anti-Semitism in the church. Listen, I am not going to be on the wrong side of that. I am going to be on God's side. I am going to be on the Bible side. In the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 11, when it comes to anti-Semitism, God anticipated that the day is coming when churches would say that God is done with the people of Israel. And he asked that question, is God done with his people? Certainly not. Blindness in part has happened to them until the time of the Gentiles is full. And we also, when you look at Matthew chapter 25 and 26, you start reading some of the words of Jesus, you recognize, wait a minute, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what I believe is the right thing to do, and I'm going to stand up regardless. Listen, I, I know that Margaret Sanger, who started Planned Parenthood, was Jewish. I know that George Soros is Jewish. I know that a lot of Karl Marx was Jewish. But because they were Jewish doesn't make me hate all Jewish people. I know really, really bad Gentiles too. You know what I mean? I know that I'm a forgiven sinner. And I know that God has a covenant with Israel and with his people. And I'm going to stand on the right side of God's history in this as I look into the future also because I'm looking forward to heaven. But I look at this and the judgments that God is talking about that are going to come because of people's words and people's actions. Hebrews chapter 9 says it's appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. It is coming. Uh, We have Matthew chapter 12. Jesus himself, his own words. Every idle word men, (coughs) men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. 
Revelation chapter 20. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books, there it is, were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. (coughs) I don't want to go there. I want to go to heaven. And I want people to go to heaven too. Very last thing, this is only going to take about one minute. Uh, Daniel takes us, the last part of this dream, into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 13 and 14. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came through the Ancient of Days, and they brought Him near before Him. Then to Him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And His kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. I I love this. Uh, Listen, in uh, verse uh, 9, we have the Ancient of Days, and then we come down here to verse 13, and we have the understanding here. The Ancient of Days is God the Father, because verse 13, I was watching the night visions, behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, and He came to the Ancient of Days. We have God the Son and, and God the Father in there. But all of this points to uh, Jesus coming again. Then to Him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages serve Him. His dominion, an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. It's never going to be destroyed. All that to say, Jesus is coming again. Listen, this is a reminder for you and I. Listen, people need Jesus. And Jesus is the ticket to heaven. Not to sound sacrilegious, but He is. And the gift of salvation is absolutely free. If anyone confesses Christ as Lord and Savior, they will be forgiven. And we have the message to give. As I look at these things, the judgment is frightening. As I look at the days in which we currently live, listen, we live in a time of signs. These are warnings that are just flashing at us. All of the attention is on the Mideast. It's interesting, the prophecies written some 2,500 years ago, all of the nations are, have, have taken place on the, the, the stage of the world exactly as the Bible said they would in the last days. And this thing is heating up. Jesus is coming, and he is coming soon. I look at this, rage builds. Iran eyes 35 targets. Trump has 52. Rockets launched. All of these things increasing. But when I look at this, I also remember Jesus himself said, now when you see these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because what? Your redemption draws near. Amen. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.